morning, Rocky Peak. <laughs> hey, it's great to see you here. Thanks for braving the elements, right? This, this is like we got a little bit of light sprinkle out there. I know in Southern California, that tends to close down everything. Um, it's like accident weather here. You're taking your life uh, in your hands, going on the freeways. Uh, in the state of Washington, uh, we used to call this uh, picnic weather, but uh, here sort of different here in Southern California. So for those of you who stayed home today, you normally are here, but you didn't want to brave the elements. We understand uh, that, and you'll get a pass on this week. Uh, thanks for taking care of your bodies. It's a temple of the Holy Spirit and not, not really subjecting it to the danger of rain and Southern California freeways. So if we haven't met yet, my name's Michael, and uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here as well. And if it's your very first time, whether you're here or you're uh, joining us online, uh, welcome. Uh, before we go into our time of teaching, I have one important announcement too. So this last uh, Monday, we sent out, about every time, this time of year, every year, I send out a, uh, a ministry update letter. And it always has certain things. Uh, this year, it's certain things, you know, about the generosity initiative. We just uh, heard about the Christmas Eve services. I uh, usually do something, just here's where we are year in giving as we go into this final important month of the year. But this year, in addition to those normal things, there's two or three really special things that we're doing, I want to make sure you're aware of. And so uh, it, there's, there's information there about this new series we're going to be doing. We're going to take a break in 1 Corinthians, come back to it later in the spring, but we're going to take a break. We're going to do an eight-week series on worldview called Renewing Your Mind. I'm very excited about that. All of our life groups are going to be reading the same book as part of our study. Very excited about that. Uh, uh, on top of that, we, we're, as elders of the church, we're proposing a change in our bylaws. Most of those are minor, but our bylaws include our our doctrinal statement. And our legal counsel has been uh, really encouraging us for years that we would take, uh, we would include in our doctrinal statement uh, a clear statement of where we stand on, on issues of human sexuality. And we've been seeing this for many years coming. Uh, you may be following this in the courts right now, but the Senate has just approved this, uh, this, it's called, I think, the Marriage Equality Act, which really has nothing about marriage equality. It's, uh, but it's, it's really putting uh, Christian organizations especially parachurch, uh, in, in, in deep danger. If the house passes it, because, but it allows them, them to deny organizations, Christian organizations that, that follow biblical uh, teaching on human sexuality to, to no longer be able to receive contributions. And so um, this is, we've seen this coming for years. We've been preparing for it in a wide variety of ways. I'll share more about that in January, but that's really what's driving this. And so I want you to be aware of those changes coming. We'll be voting on that as a church uh, at the end of January. So the reason I, I mentioned all that, also we have the new singles ministry starting in February, some information on that. So as we get closer, I'll be giving you more information on all the kind of wherewithals of what, so like what, you know, why, the whys and what, what we're doing and so on. Um, but I just want to be aware of it now. And so if you, you receive that, good, you're up to speed. If you're not on our mailing list or it went to your junk mail or whatever, out on the patio, you can get a hard copy of that uh, at the point so you're fully up to speed. All right. So I want to make sure you're aware of all that. Um, but we're going to go into our time of teaching. You guys ready to go? All right. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful to be here in your house, in your day, underneath your leadership, underneath your name, the name of King Jesus, a name that is above all other names, a name that, uh, of the one who rules creation even now. And Lord, so we come as your people. Lord, we bow the knee. We bow the knee to you, to your lordship. We bow the knee to your word. We bow the knee to your spirit. 
Well, you've told us in 1 Corinthians that when we gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus, that the, the power of the Lord is there. And so, Lord, we come today with great expectancy. We come to your word uh, not to hear the teaching of any one person. We come to hear the, the voice of your spirit speaking through your word in fresh ways in our life. And so we come today, Lord, we, we covet that. We hunger after that. You said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And so we come today hungry for you to speak. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be here hovering over this room, hovering over all those who are listening via the internet right now. And we pray that as you hovered over creation and call forth beautiful things, that you would hover over us now and call forth new life in us. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, our story starts today late in the day. He's um, closing up his house, uh, uh, turning off all the lights, and um, he's, he's heading out into the city. Uh, and the reason is, is he's been invited to attend a, a dinner party, um, and he's looking forward to it in many ways. Uh, there's going to be an interesting group of people there. There's, there's a, lot of, a lot of his friends that he grew up with since he was young, and they all know him from his old life. Uh, on the other hand, he's got a whole other group of friends that know him from his new life. And he's excited this opportunity to introduce him, to tie shoelaces, to be a bridge, to help him connect. And so as he, he locks up his house and he begins to walk through the busy, crowded city streets, uh, kind of anticipating this evening, looking forward to it. But on the other hand, there's some tension. There's a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of concern. And the concern is not over his friends, old and new, and how they'll relate. The concern is over the dinner party itself and what the host has planned for this evening. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been from last spring. This It's called Christ, Culture, and the Cross. And for those of you who are brand new, a special welcome to you. Uh, what, what this is about, this is an in-depth series that's uh, based on a study of uh, one of the most important letters of the New Testament uh, for our time, I believe. It's, it's, uh, it's a letter that's written from one of the, the key leaders of the movement of Jesus. We call him the Apostle Paul. He's writing to a group of Jesus followers, Christ followers, who live in a, a major strategic Roman city in the south of Greece. It's called Corinth. That he's, He and his team has kind of led to Jesus about three years before. He's now 350 miles away across the Aegean Sea in the, in the major metropolis of Ephesus. Uh, and so he's writing this letter to the church of Corinth. We call this letter the, the letter uh, 1 Corinthians. Now, uh, if you've been with us, the last six weeks that we've been in this new section of the letter that starts at chapter 8 and goes through chapter 10, where the Corinthian Christians have some questions about how do we follow Jesus in the midst of this crazy culture that's thoroughly pagan, where the worship of gods is woven into the fabric of everyday life. And so today we're actually wrapping up this section, the, the very end, final passage of chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up. Let's turn to uh, chapter 10. There in your note sheet is a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, Idol Meet, Final Instructions. Well, 
So as you're turning there, uh, let me kind of set the stage for this final section of this, uh, this three chapters. So what's happening is that if you've been here the last six weeks, you know this. So one of the specific questions that they've had, or a couple of the specific questions is like, hey, we live in a town where, a, where most of the meat that is sold at the meat market has previously been sacrificed, devoted to the gods in pagan temples, and then put up for sale at the meat market um, so is it okay to eat that meat uh, as Christians? Um, what about if we go out to dinner at a friend's house and they serve that sort of meat? Is that okay? Um, they, they even had the questions, hey, now that we know that there's only one God, we know that all these pagan gods aren't really gods, if we know that, is it okay for us to still go to these kind of civic functions, uh, birthday parties, special events that are often held at the local temples and participate and eat the food there because we, we know there's nothing to these gods. And so last week, if you were here, Paul was very clear that in terms of attending these festivals or these dinners at, this, at, the, uh, at these pagan temples, no, that is not okay. Because what's really happening there is that this food that you're eating is being sacrificed to the God and the whole concept is you're having fellowship with the God there. And he said that, that though we know there's no gods, that actually behind this worship of pagan gods are, are demonic forces. And so he said, so, so as followers of Jesus, you can't, you can't go and participate in these meals that are symbolically fellowship with the gods and then go to church and share the Lord's Supper, which is symbolically a fellowship with Jesus. And, and so he said, so no, you have to flee from idolatry. You can't participate in that anymore. But there's still some final questions they have about certain scenarios where idol meat is sold. And so today he's going to kind of wrap up some of his teaching on this whole issue. And he is going to introduce a couple specific scenarios that they have questions about. So with that as an intro, let's jump in. We'll pick it up at chapter 10. Uh, verse 23. And so it starts off, uh, he's, he's going to start off by quoting a slogan, a soundbite that's going around the church at Corinth. So he says, Here, here's the slogan. I have the right to do anything. So you see how it's put in quotes there? So this is the way the translators are telling us we believe this was a quote. This was a slogan. Now I want you to do something very interesting. Keep your finger there and go back to chapter 6. And verse 12. Can you do that? Those of you have apps, you'll be easy. All right. Okay, 612. Uh, this is another, this is the first time we saw this, but notice what he says in verse 12. I have the right to do anything. Do you see this the same exact quote? And so there's this quote going around the church of Corinth, that as, as, as followers of Jesus, we have this new freedom in Christ. Like, we don't have to follow all the old Jewish laws. And, and this, this concept of freedom was being abused in a couple specific ways that we'll see today. All I want to say, back in chapter 6, the issue there was that there were some in the church that were claiming, hey, we've come to Jesus, he's died for our sins, what God cares about is our heart, not our bodies, and so it's fine for us to continue in a lifestyle of sexual promiscuity, even going to prostitutes. And you remember back there, Paul said, no, 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 that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. 
that you have and God's gonna, has plans for your body. This is gonna raise it. And so it's very important what you do with our bodies. All I want you to do right now is catch that this same quote is using to claim of freedom in two abusive ways in two parts of the letter, all right? So we'll come back to that later. Let's go back to chapter 10 now. And so he says, he starts by quoting this, uh, this slogan. He says, I have the right to do anything. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. We don't have to follow the old laws. And yes, we, we also are free to, uh, we're free to eat this meat and sacrifice to idols. He's already made that clear. I have the right, he says, but, he says, not everything is what? So underline that. So, so what Paul is gonna say is, yes, in a certain sense, there's a truth to what you're saying, but there are limits. We have to correct this slogan, just like he did before back in chapter six. And so he says, I have the right to do anything. Well, yeah, in, in some ways, there's some truth to that. He says, but not everything is beneficial. There's a limit to your freedom. And he says, and then he quotes it again, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is what? constructed, right? So as followers of Jesus, what we're going to see today, we've seen in these last three chapters, is there are certain things that as followers of Jesus, we have freedom to do in Christ, but there are limits to that freedom. And the limit is, hey, what is beneficial? What is constructive in the particular situation that you're in? And then he spells out this very clearly in the next verse. He says, bottom line is, is that no one should seek their own good but the good of others. So there are a lot of things we have freedom to do, but, but there's times we need to give up those freedoms for the sake of others, for the, the, to help others grow or help them come to Christ. And so he says, he, so he's gonna say, so let's talk again about these two specific scenarios that are causing you a lot of grief. He says, the first one has to do with eating meat from the meat market. Now he's already said, if they're in your note sheet, if you look this, back in chapter eight and verse six, uh, verse eight, rather, he said, he's already told us that food doesn't bring us closer to God, near to God, and we're no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. So he's already told them that as Christians, they're free to eat, but he's kind of revisiting this specific situation, and he says, uh, when you go to the meat market, like, you know, you're going to Vaughn's, you go to Whole Foods, you go to Albertsons, whatever, you come up to the, the meat market, he says, eat everything sold without raising questions of Conscience, right? So I don't know if in those days that some, you know, some markets had a little sticker on it, idle meat. You know, we don't know that. But uh, he says, when you go to the butcher, you know, when you when you go to Whole Foods, you don't have to say where did this meat came from. It's not important. As free as Christians, you're free to eat whatever you want. He says, so eat. What anything is sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, and he backs up this teaching by a by a, a verse from Psalm 24. And I want to keep coming back to this. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but remember the Bible that Jesus read was the Hebrew scriptures. The Bible of the early church, and though some religious laws don't apply to us anymore, that the principles and things there are very much written for us, for our, our example to learn from. And so he says, hey, back in Psalm 24, it says the earth is the Lord's. Like everything we created, God created it. And hey, this steak that you're about to eat it's had a rough life, you know? It, it came through a cow that got uh, sacrificed to an idol and there were demons hanging around. Hey, but there's nothing wrong with this steak. It, it still belongs to the Lord. 
And so he says, so, so don't feel like you have to make a big deal of this every time you go to the meat market. Just buy the meat, enjoy the meat, give thanks for the meat, barbecue the meat, you know, chew the meat, give thanks for the meat and that you're not vegan. Now, okay, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, all right, all right. I think it's a scriptural response reading steak myself. But anyway, that's a, that's a gray area. All right. And verse 27, okay, he says, okay, so let's talk about the second scenario that's causing you problems. And, uh, and this goes back to the story we started the day with. So we started the day with the story of this man who's locking up. It's evening time. And uh, he's heading out to go to a dinner party and you remember that he's looking forward to going because it's old friends, his new friends. You're going to kind of help them meet one another. So this is my version of the scenario Paul is about to describe. So let's imagine you've, you're, you're in Corinth, right? Paul was there three years ago. Two years ago, you came to Jesus. And so now you have all these friends you've grown up with at Corinth from your old pagan life, but you have those new friends in Christ from the, the community of Jesus. And so you're going to this dinner party. It's going to be a mix, and you're excited about that. You get to meet, kind of, inter, kind of tie, tie shoelaces with some old friends and new, help the gospel advance, right? You're looking forward to that. But the question he's concerned about is, what should I do if they serve idol meat? Like, like what do I do? Should I eat it or not? That's the scenario that Paul is addressing here. So he says, if an unbeliever, notice that, so not a follower of Jesus, probably a pagan, probably someone who worships the gods. So if an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, I love that, he throws in and you want to go, right? This is a Christmas season. We get a lot of invites. We don't always want to go. If you don't want to go, don't go, right? But he said, if the unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, uh, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. So he says it's, it's just like the meat market. You, if you go to this, this, this dinner and they're serving whatever roast beef, you don't have to ask, like, hey, where did this come from? Just, just like the meat market, just, eat, just give thanks for it to the Lord and just enjoy it. Right? He says, but uh, here's the exception. He says, if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice. So you're, you're, ready, you're about ready to eat, and someone speaks up and makes a big deal. Hey, this, this meat, it was part of an idol ceremony. And what we're going to see in just a second is that this person bringing it up has an issue with this. Now, we don't know. Paul doesn't give us enough information. It may have been clear to them when he wrote it, but... We don't know if this is a, a, like a conservative, say a conservative Jewish believer who uh, has a problem with this. They don't realize the freedom they have in Christ and this would be actually in their mind a sin to do this. It could be that. It could be a pagan friend who's kind of watching you and thinking as a Christian who's following Jesus who believes in one God, you should not be doing this. And this would be confusing to you. That would lack integrity. Right? We're not really sure who's bringing it up, but what becomes very clear is that the person bringing it up doesn't think that you as a Christian should be doing this. Are you with me? So as a Christian, you have the right to eat the meat, but there's someone there who doesn't think you do. And if you do, it's going to cause them to look down on you 
and condemn you and judge you for what you're doing. So it's gonna make you look bad. It's gonna make you look like you don't really love Jesus. It's gonna make you look like you're not loyal to Jesus. Are you with me? That's the situation. So he says, if that's the situation, don't eat it. It's not worth the conflict. It's not worth the confusion. Give up your rights. Give up your freedom. And so let's see what he says. So he says, but if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, he said, then do not eat it. And he says, both for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of conscience. And you say, well, whose conscience? He says, I'm referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. He said, because why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, like I just, I'm thankful, why am I being denounced because of something I thank God for? He says, like, hey, why would I put myself in a situation where others are gonna condemn me as not following Jesus? over food. If, if it's going to create conflict, it's going to cause confusion, then just don't eat it. So again, there's times, we, we have freedom, but there's times when we should give it up. And so now Paul is going to begin to wrap up these three chapters where he's been talking about all these issues, idolatry, food sacrifice to idols. He says, here's the bottom line. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for what? He says, this, as believers, we should be living our lives for the glory of God. In other words, we should be living our lives in a way that shows the world how great God is. That by looking at us, that God's glory, his beauty, his wisdom would be revealed by our life. He says, so that's the bottom line. When, when you go through life and you're making decisions, what to live, how to live, hey, live your life in such a way that it reveals who God is and brings him honor and brings him glory. And he says, another way of putting this is, don't cause, do not cause anyone to stumble, like to be derailed in their relationship with God. Whether it's Jews, who in, who in this context would be more conservative religiously, or whether it's Greeks who would be more liberal, or the church of God. He says, it doesn't matter whether this like Jewish people have not come to Jesus yet, whether it's Greek people, they haven't come, or it's the community of Jesus that always be living your life in such a way, how do we promote the good of others? How do we help them grow or come to Christ? And he says, even as I try to please everyone in every way. You remember back in chapter nine, he used himself as a long example that he was willing to give up his salary. He was willing to give up his rights to eat what he wanted. His bottom line was, he said, hey, when I'm with, when I'm with the weak, I'm weak. When I'm with the strong, I'm like strong. With the Jew, I'm like a Jew. With the Gentile, I'm like a Jew. I'll, I, will, I will give up my rights and free. I'll never give up gospel. I'll never give up the primary core truths, but I will give up these secondary issues in order to help people come to Jesus or to grow in their faith. And he said, for I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. And so then he wraps up this whole section by saying, follow my example as I follow the example of whom? Christ. And so who, is, like, who in our lives is the ultimate example of someone who gave up his rights and freedoms in order to seek our good? Like it's Jesus. So, so Paul says, hey, follow me like I'm following Christ. 
and then he, wrap, and he wraps it up. And so with that, Paul wraps up these three chapters on how to follow Jesus in the midst of this pagan culture, especially with these issues of, of eating meat, sacrifice to idols, or going to the temples where these religious events are in. And what I want to do today as we wrap up these, this, this section of Corinthians, next week we'll be going into the next section, but as we wrap up this section, I, I want to highlight three key principles that I think are vital for us as followers of Jesus, not only to understand, but to take with us. I don't know if you know this, but every church has a culture, right? Every church has a culture. And this, this teaching that Paul is giving us is so critical for us to embrace as our, part of our culture at Rocky Peak. Incredibly, especially in these times that we live. And so there in your note sheet, there's a section called Christ, Culture, and the Cross, Freedom, and the Law of Love, right? And so well, let's jump in. So this, here's the first big picture principle. Paul is saying it today. He said it throughout these three chapters more than once, but it, it goes like this, that freedom has its limits. So, so what we've learned is that in Christ, you have tremendous freedom. Like, for example, in their day, They'd come to Jesus, their freedom from like the religious laws of Israel. Like they don't have to worship on the Sabbath anymore, right? They, they, don't, have to, um, they, they don't have to eat kosher food. If they want to have shrimp, go ahead. It's good, you're good. Right? Um, it, they, they no longer have to be, they don't have to be circumcised to be part of the covenant people of God, right? This is great freedom. And in these three chapters, the key issue as as Christians, it's, you have the freedom to eat whatever is, is offered in the market, whatever. Like there's a, a tremendous freedom that we have in Christ. And what we've seen throughout our series is, is that as followers of Jesus, we, we have freedom to disagree on many what we describe here as secondary issues of following Jesus. So there's primary issues that we never compromise, right? Who Jesus is who God is, uh, the authority of Scripture, uh, the core moral code of the New Testament. These are things we, we never compromise. These are primary issues that we're called to separate from people who, who say, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I, I don't accept that. We're called to separate from that, right? It's like in Galatians 1, Paul says, if anyone comes preaching another gospel than the one I presented to you, let him be eternally condemned. Right? There's some issues we don't compromise on. But what we've seen in this series is there's secondary issues that are often very important issues that Christians will disagree, people who love Jesus love, will disagree on. And in these areas, Paul's gonna say, hey, that, that we, that, we, we need to be willing to give up our freedoms in order to build the body of Christ in certain situations, right? So, so freedom has its limits. Now, what, what's happening in the church of Corinth is they are abusing this important concept of freedom in two very different but very specific ways. The first way they're abusing it, we saw back in chapter six. This is why I had you go back there, remember, where he said, hey, uh, I have a right to do anything. And they went on to argue that as Christians, we've been saved by Jesus. He died for our sins. Um, the, what God cares about is our heart, not our bodies. 
and therefore were free to continue to practice sexual promiscuity, even going to the temples and having sex with prostitutes. And Paul said, no, no, no. Like, you're misunderstanding the message. As followers of Jesus, when you come to Jesus, your body belongs to Jesus. And he died and paid the price for your body. Your body actually becomes a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what you do with your body is extremely important. And earlier in that chapter, he went on and said, hey, do not be deceived. If you think you can follow Jesus and live, kind of violate the core moral code of the New Testament, whether it's in sexual sin, whether it's idolatry, whether it's fraud or whatever, he said, you are being deceived. You're not part of the kingdom. You can't live like that and be part of the kingdom. So don't call freedom sin. And this is one of the ways that they were abusing. They were calling their high-handed sin in primary areas, they're calling it freedom. And Paul says, no, you're not. No, that's not freedom, that's bondage. That's what Jesus came to free us from. But the second area where they're abusing this concept of freedom is this one we've seen in these three chapters. That for the Corinthians, their highest value, and we'll see this in a couple of minutes, one of their highest values was being right. Having spiritual knowledge, especially in these secondary areas. And for many of them, being right was the highest value and the greatest sign of spiritual maturity. And so they weren't going to let anyone tell them what to do when it came to eating meat sacrificed to idols because they had a right to do it. And no matter what the collateral damage was from exercising their freedom, that was the other person's problem. And Paul says, no, no, no. In fact, they're in your note sheet. He says, I have the right to do anything, but not everything is what? Beneficial. Beneficial. I have right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. And he says, so, so no one should seek their own good, but the good of others. So yes, we have freedom in Christ, but it's not a freedom to sin. That's bondage. And it's not a freedom to always exercise our rights because our highest calling is to seek the good of others. All right, so, so freedom has its limits. Number two. So if you say, well, okay, so what is that limit? What is the limit of freedom? Well, in this passage, I'm going to give you the point in a minute. In this passage, Paul has given us, what what is the ultimate value? Well, to do what's beneficial, right? To do what's constructive. To seek others good. To live for the glory of God. These are all different ways of saying, kind of describing the limit but I think there's one even more powerful way of putting it that Paul often writes in his letters. In fact, we actually saw this when he first introduced this whole topic back in chapter eight. So the point goes like this, that love is the limit. Like, okay, we have freedom in Christ, but we never want to violate the law of love and catch this, love as God defines it. We're going to come back and do an important sidebar in about four minutes on that. So that love is the limit. That as followers of Jesus, our highest calling is to love God and love others. And so we, we never want to do something that violates the law of love, whether it's in a primary area or a secondary area. And so Paul, um, this is how Paul actually started this whole section 
on eating meat sacrificed to idols. Like back in chapter eight, in verse one, I put it there in your note sheet. This is how he started and introduced these three chapters. He said, now, about food sacrificed to idols. That's the new topic on the table. Like he's introducing it. He says, we know that we all possess what? Notice this in quotes. This was one of their sound bites. This was their value, right? That, that being right about everything. And scholars believe that it's very likely that some of them were even using this as an excuse for continuing to go to the temple. Because as he goes on in, Rome, in that chapter eight, he says, we all, we all have knowledge. We all know there's only one God. And there's only one Jesus and these pagan gods are nothing. And it's, it sounds like some of them are saying, hey, we, since we know the truth, when we go and participate in these worship things, we, we're not really doing it with our heart. We're, we're just kind of there because uh, we know it's not really true. And so, so we can still do this. And so for them, knowledge was the highest value. And it wasn't about, if I eat the meat, is it beneficial? The question they weren't asking is, if I eat the meat, was it, is it constructive? The question they were asking, if I participate in a dinner, does this bring glory to God? What they were asking is, am I right? And if I'm right, that trumps everything else. And when Paul says, no, as believers, of course we want to grow in knowledge and wisdom and have a, a more Christian worldview. We want to see the world the right way, absolutely, but that's not our highest value. Our highest value is to live our lives uh, in, in kind of following the law of love, if you will, loving God, loving others, um, that that's our, that's our highest value. And again, love as God defines it, right? So uh, we see this in Paul's writings, and I want to highlight uh, a couple of them for you. Uh, in Romans chapter 13, you know, the first 11 chapters of, Rome, of Romans, Paul's kind of telling the big picture story of the human race and God's rescue plan, redemption through Christ. But when he gets to chapter 12, it turns and begins to get very practical. And when he gets to chapter 13, he says, hey, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And he says, for, for whoever loves has fulfilled the law, right? And so, so the rabbis had, um, they had counted the laws in the Old Testament. There were 613. They would often, you know, uh, kind of have a debate, which is the most important. We'll see that in a minute. Um, and so Paul says, hey, as followers of Jesus, our highest calling is to love God, love others. And he says the reason is, is because love actually fulfills all the law. And so he's going to give us four examples of this. And these four examples come from the Ten Commandments, right? They're some of the last of the Ten Commandments. So he says, he's, uh, he says so the commandments, and he's talking about the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery, right? Or the way I put it is like, don't rip off someone's wife, right? So you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. Uh, my version, don't rip off their life. Right? Um, you shall not steal. Uh, don't rip off their stuff. Uh, you shall not covet. Like, don't even think about ripping off their wife, their life, or their stuff. <laughs> okay? So he says, hey, those are all just uh, kind of helping you understand what love looks like. Right? That's all what it is. Like you love someone, you, you don't have an affair with their spouse. 
If you love someone, you don't take their life. If you love someone, you don't rip off their stuff. If you love someone, you don't even like, want to do those things. And so he goes on and he says, so he says, uh, and whatever other command there may be. So those are just four examples. They're summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, which is a quote from Leviticus 19. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law, right? That love is our highest calling. It's our ethical highest calling as Christians, okay? The next example is from Galatians 5. He says the same thing. He says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. And again, quotes Leviticus 19. Remember, the, the scripture of Israel is our scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, of course, this wasn't original to Paul. He got this from Jesus. Because at least once, maybe more than once, Jesus was asked to enter this debate of the rabbis of all the laws, what's the greatest? And look what he says. The next one, Matthew 22. He was once asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, here it is. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6, right? The scriptures of Israel are scriptures. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The way I put it is that, for us as believers, our top priority in life is to know him, to love him, and to please him. He says, that's, that's like the most important thing. He said, but I'm going to give you a second one. You only asked for one, but I'm going to give you two because you have the coupon. And he says, uh, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. And he quotes Leviticus 19, same verse that Paul quoted twice before, love your neighbor as yourself. And then catch this, he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, every other law, all the teaching of the Old Testament, law and prophets, the way they talk to the Old Testament, says the entire Bible, it's really just helping you understand what it means to love God and love people, right? So, so, so love is the limit for us. Whether it's a primary issue or it's a secondary issue, love is the limit. Now, quick sidebar on love. I've mentioned a couple times, I've said, love is, is God defines it. And this is extremely important because when God says you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, like, well, how do we do that? Well, we follow the commandments, right? He's defined what loving God looks like. The commandments define that. And we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Well, what does that look like? Well, the commandments define that. So God is the ultimate judge of what's good and what's right and what's true. Love is what he defines it as. And this is very important because we live in a culture today that's trying to redefine love. And so you may have seen this uh, kind of statement, maybe you see it on a billboard, you see it uh, on uh, a neighbor's lawn or something, and it goes like this, love is love, right? So our culture says love is love. And what that's saying is all love is good. But that's not true, right? That if I, if I fall in love with a woman other than my wife and I have an affair with her, love is not love. That's a violation of love. Are you with me? And in our culture that's so mixed up about our human sexuality, the guy says, no, like, no, no, same-sex relationships 
That, that's not the good. That's not the right. That's not the true. It may feel like love, just like having the affair feels like love. But it's actually destructive for the people themselves and the culture. And this is extremely important because we need, when we, we, we see in a culture that love is love, it's constantly saying, we need to come back, yeah, but love is love as God defines it. Are you with me? We'll see this in 1 Corinthians 13 when we get there or later in the spring where Paul is t- talking what love is, a famous love chapter. And one of the things he says about love is that love doesn't rejoice in evil that love rejoices in the truth. So if you look through history, love has been defined in a wide variety of ways. In the Greco, in the, in the Greek culture, that man-boy love was very common, very accepted, right? So we would say in our culture right now, most people would still say no. But can I tell you, unless there's a radical regeneration of the hearts of our nation, that that will change because there's nothing to stop it from happening. Once you start choosing to define love by our subjective feelings, there is no objective standard to stop it. And so it's very important as believers, when we say, hey, our highest calling is love, to love as God defines it. All right, so... So uh, freedom has its limits. What's that limit? We're to live the law of love. We're, we're not to violate primary, kind of primary teaching of scripture. When it comes to secondary, there's times we have to give up our rights and freedoms to love others well. And then number three is that Jesus is the ultimate model. And as we, this is what Paul says, right? There in your note sheet, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Jesus is always our ultimate example of the one who lived this life of love. And during this Christmas season, we're celebrating that. We're celebrating the incarnation. And I want you to think about that. The way I often put it is that that Jesus lived in the greatest gated community in the universe. And he gave it all up. In fact, in Philippians 2, it says that Though he existed in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held on to, but he emptied himself and he became, he took the form of a servant and once being found in the likeness of human beings, he humbled himself even to the point of death and not just any death, the humiliation death of a cross. And so when you look at the life of Jesus, his whole life is an illustration of giving up rights and privileges for the good of others. And the ultimate example of that is the cross. Because in the cross, we see most revealed the heart of God, the love of Jesus, the willingness to give up all rights and privileges, freedoms for the sake of others. And so what we've, we learned at the beginning of this series, I want to come back to in this week and say, remember what we learned early, that the, the cross of Jesus is not something we just look back to and celebrate as a place of our salvation, which of course it is. The cross of Jesus is also our North Star we put ahead of us. And it is always our calling. 
that we live out the values Jesus modeled on the cross, which was this life of love. We live, as scholars of a cruciform life, that we're willing to give up our rights and freedoms for the sake of others. Not, not when it's not required, but if it's required to help others grow, help them come to Jesus, that we're willing to give up our rights in order to help others come. Right? So the cross is, is the name of this whole series, Christ, Culture, and the Cross. Everything always comes back to the cross. There is our North Star as believers. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus, to live a life of love as God defines it. All right, so this leads us to one important question then. So there in your note sheet is one kind of final question for this section of, our, of the letter, Christ, culture, and the cross, the key question. And here's the question. I'm gonna ask it and then kind of tease it out in a couple ways. But the question is very simple. How are you exercising your freedom? So as a follower of Jesus, um, you have a lot of freedom. You have freedom from the, the Old Testament kind of religious laws. We have to do that. We saw today that freedom to eat what they want. And we've talked about in this series that in these secondary areas, we, we have freedom to disagree. One of the things I've said over and over is that many times these secondary areas are very important. It's not like they're not important. Many times they're very important. And often, catch this, often there is a right and wrong answer, spiritually. Like in this situation, their issue is whether to eat idol. Is it okay to eat idol meat if you're a Christian? Now, let me ask you, after these three, is, is it okay to do that? Yeah, we have freedom to do that. But there was a lot of Christians who didn't think we did. And Paul says, that's okay. That's okay. You know, this, we're not all at the same place, and we're going to grow at different speeds, and we're going to grow over time. And so often in these secondary areas, there's, you know, there's important issues and there actually is a right or wrong, kind of a Christian worldview. But the question is, as a follower of Jesus, how are you exercising the freedom you have in Christ? And what we've seen to, and today, we've seen this series, is that the Corinthians were making two major mistakes. They were abusing freedom in two different ways. And we can fall into either one of these traps today. So let's talk about the first one. The first trap was the trap that we saw back in chapter six. I, have, I, have, I can do whatever I want. And therefore, we, we think we're, Christ died for my sins. I'm forgiven. And so I can do whatever I want. And we can even violate the clear teaching, primary teaching of scripture. And it's okay. And like say, for example, in sexual areas of sexual sin. And Paul has to correct that. He says, no, that's not freedom. That's bondage. You know, that can happen today within the Christian community. It can happen within the community that would self-identify as Christians, right? So whether the Lord knows that someone's saved or not, it's up to, you know, that's his business. But what I'm saying, there's people who would self-identify, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, and yet they're living in high-handed sin, clear-cut, primary issue sin, but they're justifying it by claiming freedom in Christ. And then this happens. You have a couple living together as, uh, they're not married, but they're living together, having sex with one another. And, and if someone tries to accuse them, what's, what's the defense? Why are you judging me? 
I have freedom. I'm, I'm, Christ cares about this or whatever. It happens in other areas too. Let me just give you a couple examples. None of these all carry the same weight, but let me just give you a couple examples. I've seen this especially among younger believers, kind of younger demographic. Um, and I think it's sort of a reaction. You know, like back when I was growing up, there was uh, kind of, the church tended to be more legalistic. And you know what legalism is? Legalism is when we add man-made rules to what God has said. That's legalism. When we say thou shalt or thou shalt not when God hasn't spoken. So we make like, man, this is the Pharisees were great at this. That's legalism. And so there was almost like this pendulum swing that we don't ever want to be involved with legalism. And so what I see today is that sometimes, especially younger believers, will be living in a high-handed sin, doing things that are clearly clear and we're not to do this, and yet claiming to have freedom in Christ. So it can be, it can be like smaller things, like a, a tendency to, to go out and drink too much and get buzzed or actually be under the influence, but then like, justified as I'm not free in Christ. No, you're not. That's sin. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine because it leads to dissipation. It, you lose your ability to make good choices. You put the gospel and yourself at risk. Like, like how many people have, have experienced uh, sexual violation or end up getting prepped because had too much to drink. Like you lose your ability to make good decisions. The Bible says don't do that. So when we, call, when we call drinking too much my freedom in Christ, we're doing what the Corinthians are saying. That's not freedom, that's sin. And the interesting thing is if you challenge another believer, hey, I think you've had a little too much. Again, what you're gonna hear is, why are you judging me? Don't be so legalistic. Obedience is not legalism. Are you with me? Legalism is adding to what God has said. Doing what Jesus said is obedience. And not doing what he said is disobedience and rebellion and sin. I see this sometimes, especially with the younger set, and I don't mean to all just pick on the younger set, but... I'm sure the older set has things too, but they're just things I think of is sometimes you'll be around Christians that, that almost take pride in using foul language. The freedom to let F-bombs fly is it shows how mature they are and it shows how free they are in Christ. Hey, men and women, the Bible says in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. And a few verses later, in chapter 5 and verse 4, he says, among you, it should not even be named obscenity, foolish talking, or coarse joking. That is the word of God. And so when I, when I use F-bombs and then just say, hey, this is my freedom in Christ to show how free I am, you're not showing your freedom in Christ, you're just showing your disobedience and rebellion. You see? So we can make this mistake. We can make the same mistake, the Corinthians, calling things freedom that are really just rebellion. But then there's the other one, and this is what Paul is focused on, this other abuse of freedom that he's focused on in these three chapters, which is insisting uh, that being right 
is the most important thing, that knowledge is our highest priority, and therefore I have the freedom to do or say whatever I want in whatever situation as long as I'm right on the issue. And Paul has challenged him, no, 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 that's not true, that you do have freedom in Christ, but you don't have freedom to use it any time you want because we have to be seeking one another's good. And we've talked about this uh, earlier in this series, but I want to come back here again because it's just so important for our culture as a church and our life groups and the way we relate to one another, our reputation as a church, our reputation as followers of Jesus at Rocky Peak. There's a lot at stake here. And what we've seen in our country the last uh, three years has been such a diverse time, a time where the country is torn apart with these big social issues, right? And they're really important issues, but, but in the light of eternity, they're still secondary. So you say, well, what kind of issues? I think of COVID. I think of mandatory vaccines. I think of just vaccines in general. Um, I think of how the government responded in different states and so on. I think of, hey, churches, how they responded, shut down or not shut down. I think of racial tensions and Black Lives Matter and law enforcement and defunding the police. I think of economic things, socialism, capitalism, critical race theory, you know, wokeism, so on. These are extremely important issues. And as followers of Jesus, we need to grow up. We need to get informed. We need to develop a, a Christian worldview. That's part of what this next series is about. Right? But when we're with brothers or sisters who disagree on these issues, we always need to be asking what's the best way to pr promote their good? What is beneficial to say? What is constructive to say? How do I bring glory to God in this situation? What does it look like to live a life of love? And what I've seen is in the Christian community, we have often become almost as bad as secular culture, which is such a cancel culture, that whether it's on media or a social media or wherever we are, personal relationships, sometimes we feel like we need to straighten others out regardless of the cost. And we fall into the same track of the Corinthians that no, I'm right and that's all that matters. And so I'm gonna say what I have to say, I'm gonna let the chips fly with it and I don't care what else happens because I am right. One of the beautiful things about our country that we're losing right now <laughs> is freedom of speech. But sometimes we take more pride in being a citizen of America than the pride of being a citizen of the kingdom. And as citizens of the kingdom, there are times where we choose to give up our right to say whatever we want for the sake of the kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so we end this section here. I want to end with Paul's final words because it's such a beautiful final charge to us. And I hope this seeps deep into our culture as a church. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Don't cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. 
For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. So, Father, we come at the end of this section of this letter. Just such a a powerful uh, voice to us today in our culture. Different issues on the surface, but the principles underneath, so powerful for us. Father, I pray that as a church, you would shape us into a group of believers that, that love and value one another, and that are always asking this question, how do I build up the body of Christ? What can I say or do in this situation that would be beneficial, that be constructive? How can I seek the good of others? How can I bring glory to God? How can I live a life of love in this situation as you define it? And so, Father, as we sing this beautiful song right now, a prayer of our hearts so you would be magnified in all we do, We pray that this will be a moment you speak to us. We surrender to you. We give up our old perspectives and we receive yours as our king and the one who modeled this this beautiful life of love, giving up all your rights and privileges for the sake of others. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.